0: those of you who've been with us since the beginning of January, we've been in a series called The Altars of Prayer, where we've been developing different altars in our life of prayer because everything God wants to do, He does through prayer. Today is the conclusion of that series and the launch of the next series, because today we're going to speak briefly about the altar of power and also launch into what it means to live a Holy Spirit-dependent life a life of Holy Spirit dependency. As many of you know, a few months ago there were colleges all across the nation that had students that were just waiting on the Lord. It went on for days in some of these places and subsequent to that there had been a move of God's Holy Spirit baptizing a number of them in the power of His Holy Spirit. I heard a testimony this week of a college student, freshly baptized in the Holy Spirit, learning what it means to walk in the leading of the Spirit of the Lord. And, and she said, as, as, as God filled me with His power and I began to speak in tongues, I began to hear His voice in some new ways. And she goes, and I was driving by a dollar store and I felt the Holy Spirit say, you need to pull into that store. So this young college student pulls in and she goes, I'm not exactly sure what I'm supposed to do, but she says, I'm learning to listen to the voice of the Lord. And, and as I walked into the store, I'm praying, Lord, what do you want me to do in here? And she says, and there was a lady that was checking out about that time, and, and she looked at the person who was there, and she goes, is there anybody here that can help me get my stuff to the car? And she says, I quickly jumped in and said, I'll be glad to help you. And, and so she walked with her out to the car, and when she arrived at the car, she just looked at this lady, and she goes, is there anything that I can pray with you about? And the lady said, as a matter of fact, there is, I had COVID a few weeks ago and I've not been able to regain my ability to breathe well. I'm, I'm huffing and puffing and I have no energy. And so this, this young college student filled with the power and the presence of the Lord reached out her hands and, and just put a hand on her shoulder and began to pray that she would be healed. And as she was praying, the lady coughed and began to take a deep breath and God healed her instantly. As I was listening to that story, I began to think, I appreciate everything that God does in this room, but if all He does is in this room, then it will die in this room. If what we experience in the power of the living God is not taken outside these walls and lived out in a Spirit-directed filled spirit life, then we will have robbed our city of what God wants to accomplish. And one of the things that I am praying for is that God would set His hand on every single individual that is in this church and make you a mighty army through the week so that the testimonies that you have in your life can become open doors to speak into the lives of others. That God would begin to give you divine appointments So if God says to you, hey, you need to stop at the Dollar General, or if He tells you, hey, you need to walk over and talk to somebody who's filling up that car with gasoline, that we would have both the boldness and the freedom to walk in obedience to what the Lord is doing because He is creating divine appointments for a Spirit-filled church to display the power of God. Another one of those college students by the name of Emerson was giving his testimony. He said, I woke up in the middle of the night and felt like I had a vision of of a lady and what she looked like, and and she was in the chip aisle of the grocery store. He said, so the next day, I thought, well, if I've had a vision, then maybe she exists. And he said, so I walked into the store, and as I'm walking, and he said, I walked around the store twice before I saw this lady that looked like the lady in my vision. As I'm walking toward her, she turned right down the chip aisle. Now, all of you know anything can happen in the chip aisle. So he walks up to her and he begins a conversation with her and he says, "There is there anything that I can pray with you for? And she said, as a matter of fact, there is. I woke up this morning and I was very, very sick and I prayed. She goes, I'm a believer and I prayed that, that God would heal me and I haven't felt that yet. And so he, he reached out his hands and took her hands and he prayed for her and God did not heal her. And in that moment, her daughter, who was looking for her mother, walked around the corner and saw him holding hands with her mother and walked up and said, what's going on here? And he says, I felt directed to pray for your mother for healing, and I prayed, and she wasn't healed. Would you like to join us because I'm going to pray again? And the daughter says, well, I'm really, really uncomfortable with all of that. And he says, well, then you can just watch. And he started to pray again. And in the presence of her daughter, God healed that woman in the chip aisle of the grocery store. He says it was because God wanted that daughter's faith to come alive again and she needed to see the power of God. There is a boldness that comes when you've experienced the altar of power. There is something that God wants to do in you and through you if you will avail yourself to the power of God. These things can happen on a Wednesday night. They can happen in Royal Ranger campouts. They can happen at children's camps. They can happen at retreats. I'm believing right now that they are happening on a missions trip. They can happen on Sunday morning services. They can happen in the Chip Isle of Wegmans. They can happen at Dollar General. When you have a Spirit-filled people walking under the direction of of God, they can happen anywhere if you'll just take what you have and take it outside the walls of this church. Boldness comes from the infilling power of the Holy Spirit indwelling your life. Much of what we want to see God accomplish starts with Spirit-filled believers walking in obedience to God. And my prayer is or those of you who have been involved in prayer over the last seven weeks as we've been building these altars in our lives, and those of you that are watching online and are not here today, but you've been listening to this, that during the transition from speaking about prayer to speaking about what it means to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, that God would begin to break forth in you, lighting a lamp, lighting a match that is burned and it is not to be snuffed out because God wants to do something in and through you. So over the next several weeks, I'm going to be spending some time and we're going to be talking about and praying about the baptism in the Holy Spirit, the manifestations of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. What does all of this mean? And and I recognize that there are some of you that come from backgrounds where even the way that we worship just is way outside of your comfort zone. And, And I want you to know God does things outside of our comfort zone it doesn't mean that it's wrong and it doesn't mean that it's not biblical. It just means it makes us feel uncomfortable and sometimes that's okay. But we're going to be praying at the end of the service today something that we're going to begin to do for, for some time about for people to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8 Jesus says, but you will receive power. That's dunamis. That's mighty power. Miraculous power. Supernatural power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Now look at your neighbor and point at them and say, He's talking about you. He's talking about you. And you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Heavenly Father, I pray that that Spirit of God which has already been unleashed in this room would now do an inner work in each of our hearts, lead us and guide us and instruct us how we can be all that You want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. The Scripture tells us that when you have encountered the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that one of the evidences will be there will be a new boldness within your life. Now, we have been praying for spiritual awakening. We've been praying for revival. We've been praying that, that God would demonstrate more of himself to us. We've been praying that God would prepare our lives so that we could have everything that he wants for us. This only happens when we begin to make room for him. And also we understand that if we don't make room for Him outside of the walls of this church, then then only what happens in here will, will be lasting. And we need this power that is in you to be demonstrated everywhere you go. God is touching people. And He's wanting to build your faith to believe that your life and your testimony can be used to touch people's lives as well. And I want to talk to you for the next few minutes about the importance of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Some of you here today have never been filled with the Holy Spirit. This morning is your morning. Others of you have been filled with the Spirit, but the boldness with which you started out has diminished and you no longer are living a life of boldness. You're no longer living a life of obedience. You're no longer living a life willing to allow the Spirit to prompt you and you need to be refilled today and He is going to do that. It is not your personality that... You know, some people will say, well, I'm not outgoing, so the Holy Spirit's not going to do much with me. I want you to know the Holy Spirit can use you regardless of your personality, whether you're reserved, whether you're shy, whether you're bold, whether you're loud, whether you're quiet. The Holy Spirit can use every one of you. And He desires to wake a church up to the opportunities that are available to us if we will be people that will kneel in an altar of power and receive the power of God and then walk in obedience to that. You say, but, Pastor, we live in a world that doesn't like the church very much and certainly doesn't like the name of Jesus and particularly don't like spirit-filled believers. Well, let me just point out that in Acts chapter 4, for those of you that may have your Bible, you'll remember that Peter and John have been told to not talk about Jesus anymore. In fact, the leaders have said, if you talk about Him, things are going to go really, really bad for you. And remember, we crucified Jesus. And so what did they do? It says that they went back and they told the church about what had been, they had been warned about, and the church said, okay, in response to the threats in the, the society around us, then let's pray for boldness. In Acts 4, verses 29 through 31, it says, Now, Lord, this is the way they prayed. Now, Lord, consider their threats. In other words, we're not ignoring that they're threatening. We're not ignoring that we live in a really rotten society. But, Lord, consider their threats, and then what we desire of you, that you would enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand and heal. In other words, Lord, when they tell us to shut up, would you use us to heal people because that will mess them up. And then, Lord, not only would you do healings, would you perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. In the name of Jesus, would you do these things. And after they had prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. This happens when the Holy Spirit of God shows up. It changes things, and it changes us. In fact, we recognize in Scripture that it can take a coward by the name of Peter who was so fearful that standing by a fire one night when Jesus is being tried after promising Jesus, you can count on me, I'm a spiritual giant, and in the presence of girls around the fire denies Jesus three times. And Jesus, when the rooster crowed, looked at him and their eyes matched and Peter ran away weeping because he wasn't as strong as he thought he was. But now, months later, Peter is preaching with boldness and clarity and power. We look and say, what happened to Peter? He was filled with the Holy Spirit of God and it transformed his life and it made him something that he was not before. This is the power of the Spirit. And I want to make just a couple of observations this morning, and then we're going to give you a chance to be prayed for, to be filled with the Spirit, or to pray with other people, or to be refilled. And I want to challenge you. Freely you have received, freely give. That which God has given to you, be free with as you give to others. First of all, the Spirit comes upon us in response to prayer. The Spirit comes upon us in response to prayer. This was a continual theme in Luke's gospel, and it continues on in the other book that he wrote in Acts. It's kind of a a volume one, volume two Said, I want to tell you about Jesus, and then I want to tell you about the Spirit of Jesus that rested upon the first century church. And he said, the key to receiving is to pray, 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 and Pray. The more you pray, the more you receive, the more it begins to open up the door for what God wants to do. The disciples prayed for 10 days and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Let me just share with you some of the scriptures. Since everything we believe and everything that I preach and everything I teach must be upon the solid word of Jesus Christ, let me give you the scriptures to support this. In Luke 3, 21, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. We're talking about his water baptism at this time. And as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. This is the Spirit of God coming upon the Son of God that enabled him to do the miracles that he does in the gospel. We're going, well, isn't Jesus God? Yes, he is. But he had set aside the prerogatives of his deity and he had said, I'm only going to do what the Father tells me to do. And then the Spirit of God rested upon him and empowered him to do these things. In fact, it tells us in Luke 5 17 that the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. It was the power of the Holy Spirit at work through him to bring about the miracles. It also indicates that if the power of God was upon him to do miracles, then there were times when that could not happen, perhaps because of unbelief of the people that were there, which is why this morning I was praying, Lord, would you just help us to believe again? Would you open up in us the ability to believe you for great things? He talks about the Holy Spirit in Luke 13, 11, 13. If you then being evil, and he's talking to people saying, listen, If you, being an evil-natured person, you you are not righteous by nature, know how to give good gifts to your children. And for those of us that are grandparents, good gifts to our grandchildren. And then there's this contrast. He says, how much more then will your father, who really knows what good gifts are, give to you? And then he mentions the best gift we could ever receive outside of salvation when he says, he gives you the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him, to those who ask Him. Some of you don't have the Spirit of God at work within you because you've never asked for that. In Matthew 7, 7, He says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives and who seeks finds and to him who knocks the door will be open. In other words, it's not as if God's playing games with you that when you reach for the power of the Holy Spirit, he yanks it away. He's going, no, this is a gift that I've got for you. It's available to every single person who has ever called upon my name for salvation. And it's available to you and I want you to have it and I want you to walk in it and live in it and work in it the power of the Spirit of God. Some of you are going, pastor, you don't know my story. I've been coming to this church for a long time and, and I've wanted to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and it's never happened to me. And I, so it must just be for certain people. Keep asking. Keep praying. Keep seeking. Ask again. Because the one who keeps knocking, the door will be open. There are a lot of people who quit too soon or they think that I'm going to come up and I'm asking something may happen instantly. Sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. Just keep asking because when we pray, God shows up. That is the record of Scripture. Acts 1.14 said they were all together constantly in prayer. They had prayed for 10 days. And then Acts 2.14 says, And when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came and filled heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Over the next few weeks, I'm going to talk to you about tongues and what that means, but it is the initial physical evidence of a Holy Spirit baptism. There are some of you who say, well, you know, I've, I've experienced the Holy Spirit. I'll get into that. But there's an evidence that God has given us in His Word, and it is speaking in tongues. We know that this was something that affected the entire New Testament church. Philip, who was not an apostle, was, was in the village of Samaria, and he's preaching, and, and God is using him, and he's healing people. And they're being baptized, and they're being saved, but they'd not yet received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Jerusalem hears about this. And they said it's very, very critical that those who are saved now receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit and become baptized in the Holy Spirit. So they send Peter and John to follow Philip to pray for this whole village. And they're all receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We recognize the power of the filling of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 9 when we, we come across this character by the name of Saul. Saul, on the road to Damascus where he is going to persecute Christians... He's killed Christians. He's tortured them so that they would blaspheme their God. He has been the worst. In fact, he recounts in his life in First 1 Timothy 1.15 that he is the worst of sinners. He said, if they were a tribe, I would be the chief. I'm the worst that there's ever been. Interesting enough, you will notice that the Holy Spirit allowed his statement to remain in Scripture. Didn't remove that. Indicating... That what Paul was saying was the truth. And then at the end of that, Paul says, I need you to know something. But Christ died for me to change me. Aren't you glad that there is no sin too deep that God can't reach into the pit and grab your arm and lift you out of it and change your life? If Paul, who was the worst of the worst, could experience the salvation of the Lord and the power of the Holy Spirit, then every one of us qualify today for what God wants to accomplish and following that experience, it tells us in Acts 9, 10 through 12, in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias, and the Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias? Yes, Lord, he answered. And the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man named Tarsus, uh, a man from Tarsus named Sulphur. He's praying. Do you know, notice here how specific the Holy Spirit's directions are? He gives names and addresses. I want you to go to Main Street. I don't know if they had numbers on their house. If they did, they might have added that. But here's who lives in that house, and here's what you're going to do when you get there. In a vision, he had seen this. All he had been doing was praying for three days, Paul did, or Saul, and in a vision he had seen. So Saul, on the other side of this, has seen in a vision a man by the name of Ananias. God has already told him what the man's name is that's coming to see you, and he's going to come to place his hands on you and restore your sight. So he is praying for healing. Ananias is praying for direction. God begins to put both of these things together in preparation for God's presence to be upon him. And in Acts 9.17, then Ananias went to the house... And entered it, and placing his hands on Saul, he said to him, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus. But I just want to stop here for a second. Can you imagine, number one, Ananias is a little fearful because Saul had a terrible reputation. Can you imagine the peace that entered into Saul when the first thing that Ananias does is puts his hand on him and calls him brother? Saul, you're now part of the family. You've been changed. God will work on your last name in a few minutes. I'm just letting you know that you are a brother in Christ. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and that you may be filled with the Holy Spirit. And Paul was. Prayer is answered. And God sends the Holy Spirit. The message is really clear. We pray and we receive. We pray and we receive. We pray and we receive. We pray for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and I believe that thousands are going to receive that have never prayed. They don't even know what's coming yet, but God is at work within us so that we can have an effect on them. As we pray, we receive the power, we receive the direction, and we walk in obedience to their benefit. Acts 10, verses 30 through 33, Cornelius answered, Four days ago I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon, and suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, "'Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. So send to Joppa for Simon, who's called Peter. He's a guest at the house of Simon the Tanner.'" There's the address again. "'He lives by the sea, so I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come.'" Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. He'd been praying and seeking God, and now Peter is there. And Peter begins to preach, and this is what happens in verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers and those who had come with Peter, they were astonished. Because the gift of the Holy Spirit just moved outside the Jewish world and moved right into the Gentile world. People that hadn't even been praying for it were receiving because others had been praying. And they knew that it was the baptism of the Holy Spirit because they were speaking in tongues and they were praising God. A spontaneous move of God. Why? Because Peter had been praying, Cornelius was praying, and the people were praying, and God poured it out upon them. And Luke is wanting you to know the connection. It's in the gospel, and it's everywhere in the book of Acts. You pray, you seek, and you receive. In fact, Paul, this became so important to Paul that everything that he does in Acts, he he walks up to people and his questions to them is, Have you believed in Jesus? And they're saying yes. And his next question is, have you received the power of the Holy Spirit? Have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit yet? Because he recognized the need for an internal power, birth of the Spirit within their lives. If you were to run into Paul today and he'd walk through the aisles of this church and say, are you saved? Yep. Have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? And if you said no, he'd grab you by the head. He'd pray until you're filled with the Holy Spirit. So important was it for this first century church to know what it was like to walk in the power of the Spirit. Tuesday night, I was awakened in the morning at 3 o'clock, and I don't normally wake up at 3 o'clock. And it was so uniquely divine that when I woke up, I was instantly awake. When you, know, you know if Jesus is waking you up in the middle of the night, if when you wake up, there's a divine awareness. Some of you have experienced this. And I felt the Spirit of the Lord begin to ask me some questions. He said, What are you going to do when I begin to fulfill the prophetic words that have been decades in coming? And I remember asking, What do you mean, what am I going to do? He said, No, I need to know. What are you going to do when I begin to fulfill prophecy? How will you respond? how will you lead my church? How will you let me do what only I can do? And he didn't say a thing to me about moving to another building. He just wanted to ask me, what will you do when my Holy Spirit begins? To move on people who have been praying for this. And most of you in this church, you only know me in this setting as a as a preacher and as one that stands in the pulpit but if you really knew me I really am a I'm a really rather reserved person I like quiet I like solitude I like peace I like order I thrive in routine I like predictability I love control, and I felt addressed in the Spirit. Which of these things that you like stands as a quenching flame to a match that I want to light in this church so that my glory may be seen in this city? It was about that time that there were some things in my heart that I began to recognize, Lord, I, I've never considered myself as one that might be able to hinder what you wanted to do. Again, for those of you that know me, three years ago, I was diagnosed with cancer. It was discovered that I had prostate cancer like a lot of men my age. The first round of biopsies indicated that there was cancer that was active in three different places, and begin to have some discussions with my doctor as to what the next steps would be. For those of you, and there are many of you here that have had experiences with doctors when they have told you that you have cancer and they can say it's it's minor or it's in this stage or, you know, you hear that word and you're going, oh, there's a term limit to life and what are we going to do with all of these things? And... And it began to change in me the urgency with which I felt I needed to pastor this church with the life that I lead and the way that I minister. You also know, many of you, that in preparation for next steps, they sent me to a specialist and I had a number of other rounds of biopsies. And two years ago this week, when all of those tests came back, the doctor and Cindy was with me, the doctor said, we can't find it anywhere. We, we can't find it. It was around the time that Tom Ward passed away. It was around the time that my, my daughter-in-law's dad passed away, and there was a part of me that felt guilty for being healed, beginning to question, Lord, Lord, why me? Why not others? And in the middle of that, I just kind of felt the Lord speak to me and say, listen, I am still a God that does miracles, and I'm divine, and I'm sovereign, and I'll do them the way I want to do them, and I will do them to whomever I want. But I need a Spirit-filled church that understands what it means to be equipped in the Spirit to go out in the power of the Spirit and release their belief for other people. About that time, I also began to think back about seven years ago, there were people that began to share with me some prophecies as it related to either me or to the church. We'd been here about seven years at that time. Culture was beginning to change a bit, and I'm, I almost hate to admit this to you, but honestly, I'd seen prophecy so misused in different places that sometimes I just held it at arm's length people that would come and say, hey, I have a word for the Lord from you. I'm going, okay. But something began to happen, and the prophetic words came from some people that didn't even know each other, some of them from in the church, some of them from the community, some of them from around different places in the United States. There was one gentleman that felt he needed to drive here and have a conversation with me that I'd never met before. And there began to be such unique consistency to the prophetic words as it relates to the outpouring of the end times of the Holy Spirit and the role that grace assembly could have in that, that it began to be more than me just sitting there going, I I don't, I'm just gonna dismiss this. I can't, I can't dismiss that anymore. And while I couldn't grasp everything that was being said, I no longer could just dismiss it because of the remarkable consistency. And I felt the Lord ask me if I was willing as the pastor of this church to let him create an environment where he could be God. And I said, well, what does that mean? And one of the things that I felt him press upon my heart was the only way that we are going to see Scripture fulfilled is for people to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, to be full of the Holy Spirit, and to be released from this church to go into the community and lives in the power of the priesthood that God has given you. Are we an equipping church or are we a feel-good church? Where God says, I want to have an open heaven experience where I come and I fill people and I refill my disciples like I did in Acts chapter 4. And the Lord simply said to me, Do you really want all that I have or are you satisfied? Now, it's about to be springtime in Syracuse, which means that You can buy seeds in the garden department. And as I was going through the garden department, I recognized this the seeds, and and on the front of this, there's, there's a beautiful picture. For those of you that know anything about gardening, you know that you open this package, and what is on the picture is not in the package. But what it says is that if you will create an environment that is right and you will garden it well. That what you pour into that environment has the potential to explode and look like this when it's healthy. And I felt the Lord just speaking to me about my church needs to be gardened, a place where the Holy Spirit can have the freedom to do, and what He will do in one life, He may do something different in another life. And some of the things that we fear the most when the Spirit of God moves is the way that some people respond to it. Some people will respond when the Spirit of God moves by falling over, and there's other people going, I'm not going up there if they're going to knock me over. You know what? Nobody knocked them over. It was the way they responded to the Spirit. Other people will look at that and say, you know, that's so emotional. Well, I want you to know emotion is a part of our being. I get pretty emotional when my football team wins. I certainly can get emotional when God begins to do something eternal in my life. And He knows your personality, and He knows the type of person you are, and He knows what you've been created to do, and I would hate to stand before God and have Him show you a picture of what you could have been if you had just gardened the Spirit to the full potential of what He wants to do in your life and in this church. Let me just say this, it is not my desire to make anything happen. I couldn't if I tried. And the whole move of God, the anticipation of it, I, I will be honest again, I feel such a level of responsibility of, on one hand for what happens because as your pastor I know I'm going to stand before God and I have to give an account for every word that I have said from here as it relates to you and your life and that is a heavy load. And there is a great pressure that comes with leadership and I constantly feel that I have no idea what I'm doing, which is probably a good place to be with God. So I want you to know that I have no agenda and I don't know what God will do, but God wants to do something. Prophetically speaking, God wants to do something. Many of you are familiar with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Azusa Street in California a hundred years ago. Um, I had started to give my library away, and Cindy was saying we have too many books, so I boxed up a bunch of them, sent them away. Now I'm buying them again (laughs) because I was looking all over the house for my Azusa Street book. True Stories of the Miracle of Azusa Street, if you want to look it up and get it some things that took place. I've I've folded about every page so far as I'm going back through this, but I just want to share this with you because this means something to us. William Seymour was a black pastor, blind in one eye. They cleaned out a stable to use it as a church because he preached at a church, preached on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He came back that night to preach and they had bolted the door, locked it with chains and told him, we don't want you coming back and talking about that anymore. So he went to a stable and they cleaned it out and set up crates and put boards down for people to come and and God's Spirit began to show up in some miraculous ways. One of the stories that I found particularly interesting was there was two teenage boys that were running around during Azusa Street. One of them's name was Ralphie, the other one they called C.W. His last name was Ward, C.W. Ward. Some of you may be familiar with C.M. Ward who, if you know anything about the assemblies in revival time, was one of the great voices of the movement in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. This was CM Ward's dad. Ralphie was 11 years old when he began to go to Azusa Street because he was intrigued by what God was doing there. Ralphie felt the Lord come upon him and say, I want to use you in some supernatural ways. And so he literally would go to people in wheelchairs and say, if you believe, you're going to walk. And and he would begin to pray for them. And God did miraculous miracles through an 11 and 12, a 13-year-old Ralphie. Fascinating enough... Ralphie today would be known to us as Ralph Riggs. Ralph Riggs is a young man moved from California after the Azusa Street revivals and moved to Syracuse, New York. And he started a church called Grace Tabernacle. Ralph Riggs is the founding pastor of Grace Assembly of God. We are 105 years old. And this church was started in a prophetic, miracle-moving power, and the Lord says, I will do it again. I will do it again. I will do it again. Many of the prophecies that came out of Azusa Street was a hundred years from now, I'm going to do this, and it's not going to be in a location strictly found out here in in Southern California. I'm going to do this across the world, but I will do it through believers that are Spirit-filled where the priest of believers full of the power of God will take whatever happens here and go outside these walls and we begin to see revival break out in our city and in our state and in our nation that desperately needs it because we have prayed and we have prayed and we will receive. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. I told them at the beginning, I said, I have no idea how this is going to end today. I just know that we are going to start this week and we're going to start praying for people. If you've not been saved, you need to get saved. What I mean by that is this. You need to give your life to Jesus Christ and ask Him to forgive you of your sins and start a journey where you walk with Him. And then once you have been saved, that is the prerequisite. That is the only prerequisite for the infilling or the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And you're going, you use different terms. Give me a chance over the next few weeks, I'll clear that up. And if you're scared to death of this, and you're going, I don't... don't, What does it mean to speak in tongues? Isn't that something I do? Again, I will clarify that as we go on. I just want you to know, God, if you're seeking God, He's not going to give you something that is counterfeit. But it is an evidence of an inworking power. And then, Spirit-filled believers, our job is not to stay in here and jump and shout and talk about how good our services were. Our job is to go into all of the world as the Spirit leads and guides And take the power of the name of Jesus. And when you feel impressed to go to somebody, you go to them and say, I may not know you and I don't know why I'm being, but is there something I can pray with you for? And as you're led by the Spirit, and even if God doesn't answer it just the way you think He should at that moment, don't give up because the Spirit is leading us. I find it rather symbolic that we're moving from a side street to the main street. Because I believe that it's a symbol of us as believers taking what God has enabled us. And some of you, it's been a long time since you have had an infilling of the Holy Spirit. Some of you said, well, I spoke in tongue once, I have it. Well, you know what? It runs dry. Just like your gas tank. Some of you need that heavenly language. So we're going to sing a song and I'm going to invite our altar workers to come and we have, we have a number of people in our church that are credential holders and David Fisher is here Rachel I'm going to ask him to come he's a pastor he's visiting with us today this is, this is Pablo and Rachel's father-in-law and if you're here and you're not saved then as we sing I'm going to invite you to come and just ask somebody can you just pray with me to, to come to know Jesus And if you're saved and you've never been filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, then I'm going to ask that you would come and just ask them, would you lay hands on me and pray with me? And if you're here and you're going, this seems a little weird to me, then just watch for a while. I'm so tired of being ashamed of being a Pentecostal when the world needs Pentecostal power to come and do something in our lives because we need to see the real God really at work. We have students in Columbia today that are laying hands on people that are going to come back and tell us testimonies because we've been praying for them.